Hello, Connected Hello. Church. Good morning, everybody. Yay. It's so lovely to be here. Yeah. It is a bit strange because this is the first time for me in front of the camera. Um, but yeah, so it's we really sad that we can't see your faces in yeah. person. But we, we have been very blessed that we've, we've managed to see a couple of you uh, at home group for the last few weeks, which has been lovely. Lovely uh, to worship together again. Yeah. Nothing like that, actually. It's been so good. Mm. Um, we have a, a home group every Wednesday. And so if, if there's anyone out there that hasn't come or would love to come, please just let us know. We do try and manage with the current COVID regulations and all that sort of stuff. But please let us know if you'd love to come. Mm. Just a short introduction, this is my wife Ant and, and I'm Rowan and we are on leadership here at the Collective Church and our preach today is on wholehearted living which is one of our core values as the Collective. Mm. Uh, Robin Kirst spoke a few weeks back on the fact that we are wells which is also a core value of ours and so we're speaking on another one today. So yeah, yeah. will you pray Ant? Yes. Cool. Um, Lord, you are our keeper, our healer, our shelter, you are our light, you are our salvation, you are our shepherd and our refuge, you are our peace and our rock, you are everything we've ever needed and ever will need and this is who you have always been to us and will always be and our prayer today for everybody watching is that we would love you with our whole hearts and our whole lives and we would live out of our whole hearts and our whole lives so that mm. we can be all of who you have made us to be. Mm. We love you. Amen. Amen. So when I started thinking about what to speak on with, with regard to wholehearted living, the first picture that I got was a scene from the movie Despicable Me. <laughs> and, and for those of you who don't have children, probably haven't watched the movie, so let me just kind of set the scene a bit. So, so the main character is a guy called Gru, who is a super villain. He prides himself on being despicable. <laughs> and um, so his life's work is to steal objects of significance from around the world. And in one of the first scenes of the movie, he's driving back home and you get to see the street that he lives on. And all of the houses on the street are colorful and the gardens are green and there's plants growing. But Gru's house is black and his garden is dead. Mm. And he drives in with his crazy car into his driveway and his jovial neighbor uh, system, hey Gru, and, and he walks up to, up to the neighbor and he says, your dog's being pooping on my lawn and I'm not happy about it. <laughs> I'm not going to try to do the Gru accent for those of you who know. <laughs> and, and, um, and, and the neighbor says, oh, you know dogs, they go wherever they like. And Gru says to him, not if they're dead. And he starts laughing, <laughs> he starts laughing and he says, oh, I'm only joking, although it is true. You know, so, 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 and then it leaves the neighbor completely speechless, doesn't really know if Gru really is joking or not. <laughs> and, so, and so this analogy um, got me thinking, and, 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 and you know, Gru's house and his garden are obviously a metaphor for his life and his heart. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a good metaphor because we often use those analogies for a heart, mm -hmm. being a house or being a garden. And 
I guess the reality is when, when, you, when you believe Jesus' words and you believe the truth, uh, you know, your garden starts to grow and your house starts to get opened wide and the sun starts to shine into it. Um, but when our garden is dead, we tend to want to steal from other people's gardens potentially and, and if not stealing from their gardens, possibly just belittling their gardens, making a, you know, making a joke about it. So we actively need to plant good seeds uh, mm. and water our gardens with the Word and with the Holy Spirit. And we need to open the windows of our house, need to open the doors, mm. open the curtains, let the light in. We need to dust off the floors, we need to take the covers off the furniture, and we need to turn it from a house into a home. It's mm. good. So in the beginning of the movie, <clears throat> Guru is alone. Uh, he doesn't even know how disconnected he is. He doesn't want connection. And uh, <laughs> during the course of the movie, he adopts three girls. And it's completely for selfish reasons. He, he, he thinks that they can help him steal something, really. <laughs> so he doesn't care about the girls at all. Uh, he just wants them to help him with one of his jobs. And, but what he realizes is that connection changes him. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> he, it revolutionizes his, his life and it starts to change his heart. Mm -hmm. And the reality is that the Father made us for connection. First with him <clears throat> and then with others. Mm -hmm. It's actually why we are here on this earth. And I love, I love the, the beginning of Genesis where God is, he creates the world. And he, he makes everything perfect and beautiful and mm -hmm. in all in preparation for his kids to, to arrive. Mm -hmm. And I love that picture because it reminds me of a picture that Anne took when, when we were kids. And, you know, when, when new parents, they, they start preparing the room for their child to arrive. And it's perfect. Everything <laughs> is in its place. Everything is lovely. Tell them about the picture. Rose referring to this beautiful white bedroom that I created for our son before he was born with a little splash of grey and everything was perfect and the teddies were perfect and the nappies were perfect and everything was perfectly ready and then a few months later this little person had entered our life and I took another picture of that bedroom from the same angle and somewhere on the floor there was a child we holding on to something. We blocked the door so he couldn't get out. <laughs> um, there was just toys everywhere. All the perfect teddies were down on the floor. And there was nappies everywhere and chaos. And um, it's just such a beautiful picture because I, I guess in that we get a slight glimpse um, of what the Father did. He created everything in anticipation for humanity. <laughs> mm -hmm. For that moment when the most perfect of his creation would be placed in what he had prepared mm. um, and what is that beautiful creation and what is that beautiful room without a baby what is what is the world without humanity we are the prize um, of the father mm. <laughs> it's so so good i think um i guess the point is that god made us for connection i mean mm. the fact that he went to those lengths for his children and when everything was good but when he put his kids in there it was it was very good you know mm. and and so yeah, if we're made for connection, then I guess the question is, what, what breaks connection? And Brene Brown thinks that, that it's shame, based on her research, that it's shame that breaks connection. So when we don't feel worthy, we break connection. Mm -hmm. uh, when we don't live with our whole hearts, we break connection. 
And it's not because of God, it's because of us. You know, part of wholehearted living is about knowing that you are worthy. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it's so strange that people, you know, even believers don't necessarily always believe that they're worthy because Jesus went to extreme lengths to restore connection. Mm-hmm. You know, after Adam and Eve broke connection, God the Father set the redemption plan in place. And, and it is such a beautiful, beautiful picture of redemption and reconnection. Mm-hmm. He reconciled us again. He made us worthy. He tore the veil and He decided to dwell inside of us. And if that's not connection, then I don't know what is. Mm. He, Jesus covered our imperfections. In fact, He actually said, I don't care. I love you anyway, and I will even die for you. So good. <laughs> and Jesus went to so such great lengths to speak about the heart. Um, it's this metaphor that He uses for our inner life. And God, even in um, the Old Testament was so primarily concerned with the heart. He wanted us always to have a healthy heart. He says to Samuel, The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but I'm looking at the heart. And there's this key scripture for us in this value of wholehearted living, and that's about the heart. It's from Proverbs 4, 23. I'm going to read you my four favorite translations. The NIV says, above all else, guard your heart, for from it everything flows. The message says, keep vigilant watch over your heart. That's where life starts. The passion, so beautiful, says, above all, guard the affections of your heart, for they affect all that you are. Pay attention to the welfare of your inmost being, for from there flows the wellspring of life. Mm. And my favorite, the Amplified, watch over your heart with diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. There's two words that keep appearing in these translations, guarding and watching. And I find that so fascinating in the journey of um, a wholehearted life. You guard and you watch. Um, Because we live in a war zone where there really is a real enemy that wants to steal, to kill, to destroy, to wreak havoc. Um, But in John 16.33, Jesus gives us this, hey, don't worry, don't get too caught up in the fact that there's an enemy, because I've told you that you're going to have a hard time. There's going to be distress and tribulation, but I am here to offer you always perfect peace. Um, So be courageous, be confident, be undaunted, be filled with joy, because I've overcome the world. So the conquest is accomplished. Um, So even though there's this, hey, take heart, Take heart, the ESV says. Um, Guard your heart. Guard it with all your life as if your life depends on it because everything that you do, every part of how you're living is flowing from your heart. All issues of life. It doesn't mean, though, that we guard ourselves and we shut ourselves down. No. We've misunderstood that. A guard stands at the gate watching what's coming in and what's going out. But we often guard the wrong stuff. We guard our fear, we guard our trauma, we guard our offense, we guard our wounds, we guard our past. I don't want you to see this. I'm, you know, no. No. What we call to God is our connection to Him at all times, at all cost. Um, So wholehearted living says, I'm opening up. I'm not living in self-preservation mode. I'm not living in self-protection mode anymore. I've got the master healing team living inside of me, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. 
And so together we can heal, we can forgive, we can let go, we can move on. Most of all, we can be all that God has called us to be. Mm. God did not create us defensive and touchy and hypersensitive so we could live there for the rest of our lives. He didn't create us that way. Um, and the condition of our hearts is determining the condition of our lives. Wholeness for us is that we are not whole people when we've got nothing to give because we are so heavily guarded or so numb or so shut down that no one can access us. You know, we're like a vault. Um, and pain, pain does that. Pain puts us in these little prisons. And I love what Rose said about dusting off the furniture and opening up the house so that it can become a home because that is the most beautiful picture of salvation, I think. Because we come out of those little pain prisons because Jesus is standing there offering freedom on every level. So wholeness for us looks like a deep awareness of what is going on inside of us. Why? Because the kingdom of God is this upside down kingdom where we are actually transformed from the inside out. So we value our heart life our internal heart life. We don't set it aside and say, oh no, it's not that important. It's not okay that we have increasing head knowledge, big fat theology degrees and little hearts. Mm. Maybe the theology degrees need to match up to the big hearts. Big hearts need to match up. Um, we are called to this deep knowing of God and being in this intimate knowing, being mm. transformed from the inside out. Mm. So beautiful. Yeah, I think God is not... Uh, interested or, or satisfied with an academic relationship mm -hmm. with his kids, you know, mm -hmm. he he wants a deep, he he wants to be sort of molded together, and and there's such a beautiful scripture in John 15 mm -hmm. where he says, uh, "I am the sprouting vine, and you are my branches, mm -hmm. and as you live in union with me, as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you, but when you live separated from me, you are powerless." Mm -hmm. If a person is separated from me, he is discarded. Such branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire to be burnt. But if you live in life union with me, and if my words live powerfully within you, then you can ask whatever you desire, and it will be done. And I love this picture of being grafted into the vine, because uh, I, actually, I actually read up a bit about what it means to be grafted into a vine. And, and I read that when you've got a healthy vine, you can actually graft... Say, say you've got, I don't know much about grapes, but say you've got a Merlot grape. You can graft a Cabernet grape into the vine and, and it will grow a Cabernet grapes from the Merlot vine. And if it's a healthy vine, then you, you can actually grow your own fruit. And I, I found that picture so beautiful because, because God doesn't want us to be cookie-cut Christians. He wants us to be grafted and be part of Him mm. and for Him to be part of us. But our fruit is also an end flavor and a row flavor. It's, it's, it's God fruit, but He wants us to be us. And he, because He loves us, that's how He made us. Mm. And so as we bear fruit, it just, it's such a beautiful picture of, of who God is in our lives. Mm. Kirst spoke so well, uh, I think it was last week, about the fruits of the Spirit. And as we are transformed into His likeness, that um, we display the fruits of the, the Spirit and we reflect the, his character to the world around us and mm. I think it's just such such a beautiful picture of how as we are one with him so the fruit comes out that is God fruit it's still got a grape but it's mm. it's it's it's, uh, it's got our personal flavor attached to it mm. so beautiful I love that um, 
picture of the vine, I think that is what was so hard for, and what is still hard for us in our religious stuck places, and hard for the religious of Jesus' day to understand this, this vine, this way of living where you graft it in. No, give me the rules, give me what I need to follow, and I'll keep a strict, I'll keep to it, and you know, there's my religion. And I love this, um, when we went through this, if, if you're in our home group, you'll remember when we went through Mark 7, we spoke about this, um, this chapter, and we said, this is a wholehearted living chapter, if there ever was one, Mark 7. The religious <clears throat> of, of Jesus' days were these experts at the outside stuff. And Jesus comes and he turns it all on its head, and he points out where their hearts are, and it's too much for them to wrap their religious heads around. And the scribes and the Pharisees make this long journey to come with the intention of pointing out to Jesus how out of line he, they've heard his disciples, his followers are. Because when they come back from the marketplace, they don't wash properly. They don't do all the ceremonial washing. They don't wash their pots and pans and cups and whatever else. Um, I've got a bit of poetic license here. But basically, Moses gives these rules for, for washing. And the elders take it to another level and they create a set of traditions um, over and above the rules, and that's what they're coming at Jesus about. And interestingly, Jesus doesn't deny their charge, but he justifies his disciples by attacking the whole traditional system and pointing out that you guys are just like Isaiah prophesied you would be. I love how the message puts it. The message says, you honor God with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. In fact, Isaiah was right about frauds like you. He hit the bull's eye, in fact. These people make a big show of saying the right thing, but their heart isn't in it. They act like they're worshipping me, but they don't mean it. Hmm. They just use me as a cover for teaching whatever suits their fancy, ditching God's command and taking up the latest fads. And Jesus called the crowd together again and said, Now listen, all of you, take this to heart. It is not what you swallow that pollutes your life. It is what you vomit. That's the real pollution. <laughs> When he was back home, um, after being with the crowd, his disciples were like, we don't get it, Jesus put it in plain language. And he said, are you being willfully stupid? Don't you see that what you swallow can't contaminate you? It doesn't enter your heart, but your stomach works its way through the intestines and finally is flushed, which took care of the dietary quibbling. So Jesus was saying, listen, you can eat everything. But he goes on to say, it is what comes out of a person that pollutes them, obscenities, lusts, Thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, depravity, deceptive dealings, carousing, mean looks, slander, arrogance, mm. foolishness, all that is the vomit of the heart. There is the source of your pollution. Mm. And I think for us in this journey of wholeheartedness, as this wholehearted living has, has become awoken more and more in us, we are fully convinced that salvation um, and walking with Jesus was never meant to be a plaster that you put over or a band-aid that mm. you put over brokenness mm. um, inside, but rather this invitation from Jesus where we say yes to him is actually a, a saying yes to a deep friendship that results in deep transformation from the inside mm. out. So we are so passionate about a community culture where we understand the importance of our internal world. Yeah, so, so important to... Yeah, I think for me, wholehearted living is about being comfortable with who you are and with our imperfections, but not being satisfied with that. You know, we have a new DNA. It's not a sinful nature DNA. 
It's a redeemed DNA. Mm -hmm. And it's understanding who we are and whose we are and being unapologetically unapologetic about living that out mm -hmm. and uh, living from that place, knowing that God is good all the time and that even in our darkest places, He has a good plan. Mm -hmm. And, you know, on the other side of that coin about, you know, so we're being, we, we're comfortable with, with who we are and we, 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 we are self-aware and we, 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 we are, we, feel, we know that we are worthy. Um, but on the other side of that, there's also the fact that we are also going from one degree, degree of glory to the next. And is that scripture in 2 Corinthians 3. It says, We can all draw close to Him with the veil removed from our faces. And with no veil, we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. We are being transfigured into His very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Mm. I love that. I love that. And, 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 I, and I think, you know, we can often feel like that's about perfection, about us moving from mm. one degree of perfect to the next. And, and <clears throat> it's actually not about perfection at all. Mm. Uh, David was far from perfect. Mm. And, but the Bible describes mm. him as a man after God's heart. And I always wonder why. Why do they describe him as a man after God's heart? And I really believe that it's because he laid everything bare before God. He brought everything to God. To God. He mm -hmm. brought his, his joys, his struggles, his mm -hmm. lamentations, his epic fails. He brought everything to God. And it's so amazing because he starts, in most of the Psalms, he starts with this problem or this conundrum that he's got. But he ends praising God. He always says, but you God, mm -hmm. but you God, you, you protect me, you provide for me. He, is, he always ends up in, in, in this praise of his Father. And it's so beautiful. And, you know, when, you know, when David was becoming king after the, the time where, where Saul was king, Israel had, had kind of moved away from God a bit. And it was, David, it was David's passion to, to bring God back to the center. And that's one of the reasons why he, why he was so passionate about bringing the covenant, the Ark of the Covenant, back to Jerusalem. And uh, so that, so that the, the king could be back in the center of his people. His king could be back in, his, in, in the rightful place. The presence of God would be back in its rightful place. And I think that's so... There's, there's such a powerful picture and a preferred picture in that because mm -hmm. the man that's described after God's heart is bringing the presence of God back to its rightful place. And, mm -hmm. and I can't help but think that that's a foreshadowing of things to come. Like David brought the presence of God back to its rightful place, Jesus took it one step further and he brought the presence of God into our hearts. Mm -hmm. and, and so the, our hearts is so much more than we actually think it is. Mm -hmm. In 1 Corinthians um, 6, it says, uh, Do you know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit, who is mm. in you, whom you have received from God? Mm. You, are, um, you are not your own. You were bought at a price, and therefore honor God with your bodies. Mm. So our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus lives now, who dwells inside of us. So our hearts are the Holy of Holies. In, in Hebrews 8 and 9, it, really, it, it, it lays it out really beautifully, but I'll give you a summarized version. So Jesus is our high priest. Uh, and it says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. I will put my laws in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. So the Holy of Holies, you know, was, was in, in the actual 
physical temple was a mirror of what was in heaven, and it held the Ark of the Covenant, which held the law and it held the presence of God, and, and, and the law of Moses. And so now we have all of those things in our hearts. And in those times, the high priest was the only one who could go into that inner room. And, and he could only do it once a year. And never without a blood sacrifice, um, which he offered for himself and the sins of the people. So Jesus, the Hebrews 8-9, talks about how the new covenant is better than the old one. Because why would you have to replace the old one if it was good, if it was perfect? So Jesus paid that blood sacrifice. And now we don't just get to, to meet God once a year. He's, he dwells inside <laughs> of us. We get to go there anytime we like. Mm -hmm. He is there with us in th through thick and thin, through everything that we go through. God is there with us. And so, so as I said, you can see now in the New Covenant that our heart is the Holy of Holies. It's a treasure. Mm -hmm. It's the dwelling place for, for the King. Oh, <laughs> oh, in this um, wholehearted life journey, there's a handle that we like to talk about, called self-awareness. And that really does require that you live from the Holy of Holies. Tim Keller says, <clears throat> self-awareness is never the destination, it's only a step on the way to transformation. A healthy self-awareness should put us on and keep us on the road to sanctification. And I love that, actually, because I think that's what you were saying about David. It's like in Psalm 139, where David is saying, search me, God, know me, know my heart, test my anxious thoughts, see if there's any wicked way in me, and lead me on the way everlasting. Um, there's this um, book by C.S. Lewis called The Screwtape Letters. And if you haven't read it, the gist of it is, um, it's a fictional work, where Uncle Screwtape is a demon, and um, he is giving instructions to his young nephew, um, another demon, on how to to rob from humanity, how to rob from a man or a woman's life. And this is his advice. He says, steal away a man's best years, not in dreary sin, but in the dreary, uh, I'm sorry, not in sweet sin, but in a dreary flickering of the mind over it knows not what or not why, in the gratifications of curiosity so feeble that the man is only half aware of them. Whenever I read that, I think of the, the mindless scroll that we often, we often do. Um, it's kind of like I wasted my life and I don't really even know what I wasted it on. And this, is a, this, this thing is called distraction. Yeah. And it's an enemy of self-awareness. It's an enemy of wholehearted living. And um, it goes unnoticed in our lives. And that means that our hearts are often going unevaluated. It's probably why I love, I love journaling so much because for me, it's, it's my space where I'm like, search me, God, know me, see, show me where the anxious ways in me, lead me on the path everlasting. Um, when, we are, when we are poor in self-awareness um, or lacking in self-awareness, we get robbed of our true significance mm. in, in our lives. I love that we are deeply intellectual beings made in the image of a deeply intellectual God. And if we do not make time to stop and think deeply, we actually don't thrive and we waste this gift that is life. Um, we have avoided self-awareness because we get stuck in 
shame mm. and that comes out of criticisms, criticizing ourselves and judgment of ourselves. So what happens unfortunately is that we, we often shut down internally, we shut our hearts down and we shut down places of our hearts before we've even begun. Mm. And I think when we're in that place, self-awareness can feel like you lost at sea um, and stuff is starting to show up around you like debris. That's kind mm. of the picture I get in my head. And you don't actually want to believe that anything could be coming up. Gross things could be beneath, you know. Um, and, and then you get shipwrecked in shame. And, and it's, it's that stuff that shows up in our lives sometimes. We all have it. Um, it's, it's showing us that there's like an ocean beneath, you know, beneath us. There's an ocean of our hearts. And, and we need to call for the captain of the ship regularly. Jesus, I need, your, I need true north. Um, put me on course again. I'm, I'm, I'm off balance. And I think in, in this journey we have to learn to be gentle um, with ourselves and not to shame ourselves or our emotions. You'll talk more mm. about emotions, but um, they're beautiful things. You have to observe, observe yourself with love and kindness like mm. Jesus does. You can't abandon ugly parts or things that are sore. Um, you've got to love them with an everlasting love and mercy like he does. Mm. Um, he's chosen to take up residence inside of us and make his home in us. And I love this. He never asked me to clean up my mess before coming and living inside of me. Um, he's never threatened eviction because of what I've shown him. Um, he's actually the guy who comes and sits with us in our mess mm. and says, let's clean this up together. He's mm completely relational, he's mm. not mechanical. So how on earth um, could he create such thinking, feeling, <clears throat> emotional beings and then expect robotics mm. from us in return, you know? I've kept this rule, I've kept that rule. No, I want your heart. Um, and there's such a beautiful gift in, in self-awareness and that is, the, that is fruit, the fruit of the spirit, mm. like Chris mentioned last week so beautifully. Um, there's, there is a slant on self-awareness out there that I don't believe is kingdom self-awareness. It doesn't land in Jesus. It doesn't produce the fruit um, that we're going to talk about, the fruit of, of Galatians 5. It doesn't land in the healer because the healer's job is to heal. It's like when you've got a, a pain, you, mm. you go to the doctor. It's not your job to heal yourself. You go, you're like, I've got a pain, doctor. doctor tells you how to get better, you know. Um, the Galatians 5.22 fruit is what happens when we live God's way. The message says, He brings gifts into our lives much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, a conviction that basic holiness permeates people and things. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments not needing to force our way in life. And we are able, big one, to marshal and direct our energies wisely. Mm. And why is this self-awareness a big deal? Because self-awareness gives birth to ownership and ownership gives birth to responsibility. And ownership and owning our, our stuff and owning what goes on inside of us that needs, mm. that needs Jesus is a big deal. Um, without it, we hamstring. Without it, we move inches when we call to move mountains mm. in our wholeness. And Brene Brown says this very well. She says, ownership um, doesn't 
it can be hard, but it doesn't have to be heavy. Mm. She says, and it takes courage. Owning up takes courage. But owning our stories is the only way we get to write brave new ones. I can't give you something of mine um, if I don't own it. I cannot give my, my stuff to God unless I'm like, God, I own this. This mm. is where I'm at. Um, and ownership gives birth to responsibility. And um, we have this beautiful responsibility to joyfully work at our salvation. It's not navel-gazing, I'm not talking about self-absorption, mm. I'm talking about a healthy self-awareness that actually shifts your dependence and your awareness onto the presence of God more than it does onto you and how much you need to fix you. No. Um, no one will go to the depths of your heart with you like He will. Mm. Um, no one is as gracious, is as kind, is mm. as wise, is as full of truth so and willing to walk with every single mm. part of you, um, mm. like he is, like Jesus is, and no one can be to me who he will be. Um, that doesn't mean I live alone as an island. Um, <clears throat> I think the most beautiful thing about this restoration that happens between God and man is the picture of the cross. There's this restoration that happens here, and then it works itself out like this. It works itself out in restoration mm. with people. Um, it's not a formula. The gospel is not a formula no. or a philosophy. It's a father. So our responsibility is connection. Our, we are responsible for staying connected, for realizing no. when we've lost connection or we've broken connection, like Rose says, out of shame. Um, yeah, and when you start becoming aware of your heart and what's going on inside of you, that is when your authentic, beautiful, true child of God self can grow and show. Um, I read a, a poem by E.E. E. Cummings this week, and I love this one line. It says, um, it takes great courage to grow up and be who you really are. Sure. <laughs> and that's so good. It takes so much courage to live with that self-awareness mm. because it takes humility. It takes, it takes a, you know, a level of introspection that says, that thing is not good in me. It needs to go. Uh, whereas pride will fight that. Humility will, will, will hear the voice of God and, 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 and make those changes. <clears throat> it faces our internal mess. And that's not easy, you know. So, but you know what I've, I've learned through this, through this research is that the root word of, of courage is, is core, which is actually a Latin word for heart. And in and, and one of its earliest forms, uh, the word courage meant to speak one's mind by telling all one's heart. <laughs> uh, that was a revelation to me. So mm. it takes courage to live with authenticity, mm. where people can see your faults, but it's okay. Mm. Uh, God knows all our faults. We often think we can, we can hide them from Him, which we all know is ridiculous. <laughs> so <clears throat> it takes courage to be okay with us, with who we are, where we're at. And then, like I said in the beginning, to also know that we are moving from one degree of glory to the next. Mm. It takes courage to be okay with our emotions, like I said. Emotions are actually amazing things. They're invitations to grow. They're signposts to freedom. Mm. It's God showing us that there's something in us or that He wants to change or wants to do and, and, and how we can actually grow out of it because we, we know that God is always good. That's a, that's a core foundation that we have to believe across all of these things, that God mm. is good and He wants us to grow. We can't be ashamed of our emotions at all. So connection with the Father comes from living freely and openly before Him, revealing all and allowing Him into every single space of our hearts, every single room of our hearts, where He can actually just go in and help us do that cleaning, do us, help us take the, 
the sheets off the couches and open the windows and let the light in. So there's no room for shame because that is just something, it's a lie that we can never, never, never believe. We cannot afford to believe anything like that in our lives because it breaks that connection and it breaks the entire reason why we actually are here on this earth. Mm-hmm. It's, it's far more serious than we realize. And so, yeah, so I think, you know, for us, I hope, I hope that some of the takeaways from today is that you can realize how valuable our hearts really are. Mm. They are the wellspring of life. Mm. Our hearts are the holy of holies. Mm. Um, our hearts are the reasons why we can connect deeply with our Father, who made us to connect deeply with, with Him. And the, and the fact that we can understand that shame breaks that connection, and as soon as we spot the slightest hint of shame, we tell it to go back to where it came from. <laughs> and so, because Jesus paid the ultimate price for that connection. Mm. If shame breaks the, the, breaks the connection, then that is completely from the enemy, mm. because Jesus has already paid that price. Mm. He's, already, he's already paid that price to redeem us. He shed the blood so we can have connection. Mm. So, so, so yeah, our hearts are valuable. And the other thing is that it's not about moral perfectionism. We don't have to come to God with everything sorted out. We come to Him with everything not sorted out. Because He's the one that helps us sort it out. He's the one that wants to walk through that stuff. The whole part of a, of a, of a relationship and, and connection is to walk through journeys with each other. Mm. You know, we don't just get married and then just not talk to each other for the next 50 years or however long we're married. It's actually about the journey. It's about mm. the life, the story that we tell as mm. we walk this, this journey mm. of life. So it's not about perfectionism. We can come to God with our mess. And He's okay with that. He knew about it before we came to Him anyway. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Um, That's good. Beautiful. That's good. Yeah, we leave you with the powerful picture of the restoration that happens between us and God mm. and we live with this openness with Him and Him with us and this openness in our mm. hearts with each other. Mm. I love that picture of the cross because that, the, the crossbar of the cross could never stand without the, the upright bar. So without a healthy relationship with God, actually our relationships with others start to fall down to the ground too. Mm. So yeah, it's a beautiful picture. That's us. Yeah, so shall we pray? <clears throat> Thank you, Lord, for our hearts. Mm -hmm. Thank you that you dwell inside of us. That you paid the ultimate price for our connection with you, Father. That we can connect with the King of Kings, the creator of the universe, actually wants to dwell inside of us. It's such a crazy thought, but you made that way, Father. Mm -hmm. Thank you that we can come to you in any situation. Thank you that we can bring our our troubles and our insecurities and and our joy and everything in our lives we can bring to you. And, and you celebrate with us, you cry with us, you dance with us. You just want to be a part of the story and the journey with us. So thank you, Father, that you actually made that way. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for us. Mm-hmm. We worship you and we praise your name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, that's it from us. <laughs> thank you very much. Love you long time. And have and, a lovely Sunday. Yeah. Where can I run from your presence, O God? Where can I hide from your spirit? Where can I run from your presence, O God? Where can I hide from your
Of love. 